This is the Race MotoGP podcast. Toby Moody, Simon Patterson joining you for this episode. And we're going to be talking about the Italian, Andrea Iannone, and his recent 18-month ban for failing a drugs test after the Malaysian MotoGP at the end, towards the end of 2019. The Aprilia rider is has got no chance of getting back on a uh, on an FIM sanctioned motorcycle in an FIM sanctioned motorcycle race until June 2021. I've been involved in the sport quite a while. Uh, so have you Simon. I've never seen anything like this before. No, absolutely nothing. I know we've had a couple uh recently of of other doping violation cases where we've seen people, you know, uh, accidentally take a cough medicine that was a different recipe from what they were used to take recreational drugs rather than performance enhancing drugs, take, uh, take drugs they were prescribed by the doctor, but without putting through the correct paperwork. But we've never quite seen anything like Ianoni where someone has tested positive for a steroid that has massive performance enhancing, uh, capabilities where it has went through all the FIM processes and where they've handed down a ban quite, so severe as this even if in the process they've admitted that there was some you know possibility of contaminated food and that that's why they've actually been more lenient than they could have been crikey lenient at 18 months that's uh that's quite something to consider but you know from the fim's point of view they can't sit on the fence here they don't want to fall down a a, a, a negative black hole, not even a rabbit hole, a black hole of what other sports have, have maybe fallen into with hearsay and rumour that just consistently will not go away. So maybe they've been quite strong rather than lenient. That's the way I look at it. There has definitely been a tightening of the system in the last sort of 18 months since we had a change of presidency at the FIM. We've seen stricter penalties We've seen more testing. We've seen more of a focus. They've launched the you know the new Ride Clean campaign. So there has definitely been more of a focus on it because it's always been something that you'll know this as much as I do, that it's talked about in the paddock and in whispers, but it's never something that we've ever really had come to the head. There are obviously reasons in motorbike racing to use certain drugs, Um you know, there's the constant battle of weight loss, but also trying to maintain the strength. There's an obvious case there for using uh, some sort of a some sort of a chemical that'll help you improve that. Well, I think the more fundamental thing is 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 getting over injury and pain relief after. You know, some guys they have some horrendous crashes on a, on a, on a Friday, like Lorenzo at Assen, Valentino at Assen back in '06, broke bones in his fingers and his feet. Colin Edwards broke his collarbone at Barcelona one year. He had a a plate inserted. Yada yada yada. That the, the, the pain injury is one. Uh, 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 quelling is one thing, but it's we got to be careful how we word this, Simon. This is the elephant in the room. It's it's his. It's his Instagram thing and the whole lifestyle thing and the private jet thing and the Lamborghinis and the four and a half million follower girlfriend thing and the the surgery on his jawline that prevented him from testing. I mean, it's it's very odd. Let's not beat around the bush. What he does in his own life is, is absolutely up to him. I haven't got a problem with that. You know, it's the same as Lewis Hamilton. People say, oh, what does he do that for? He's employed to drive the car, and he does that very quickly. But the Ian only thing, it, it all 
It's one big sort of tumultuous maelstrom, isn't it? Maybe the, the politest way of putting it is that there were other people in the paddock who, had they found themselves in a similar circumstance, people would have been a lot quicker to accept their theory of meat contamination, to take it on board and to give them a, a bill of clean health again afterwards. But like you say, because of Ian Oni's history, his image, his attitude, it just doesn't incline people to be too forgiven, does it? It, it, it doesn't It doesn't add up one, one jot. And it's a shame, really, because, you know, he was quick in 125. He was stunning in Moto2. There were some Moto2 races. You know, you've got the same engine, same tyres, same fuel, same ECU and all of that. It win the Monoma ten seconds. I seem to remember, and you go, you can't do that. And those races that I commentated on, I thought, hang on, hang on a minute, we've got a bit of a star here. He didn't do it every day. He didn't do it every week like Marquez did. But you don't just win a race by two or three seconds. He was winning it, as I say, by nine or ten, and then he got into MotoGP and it, it went well. You know, he got the he got a work Ducati ride for crying out loud. There are only two of those in the world at any given year, and he did well. He won Austria in uh, in twenty sixteen, and then then maybe the maybe it all got to his head. Who knows? Who knows? For me, it all went wrong even before he won that race. For, uh, for Ducati in Austria, it all went wrong in the split second that he decided to take a lunge up the inside of his teammate, Andrea, you know, uh, Andrea Di Vizioso, at the last corner in Argentina and took out both of them and cost Ducati a double podium. That, for me, that was the, the point where everything turned. And it's funny, even going back to looking, so that was the second race of the season or the third race of the season, when you look at the pictures of the team launch from that year and then look at pictures of Ian Oni now, he doesn't even look like the same person. The entire the entire physical image has changed, you know? That, for me, was the day that, that everything flipped. Uh, we know that him and Dovi were both up for grabs for a Ducati contract because they'd already signed uh, Lorenzo as the number one rider. He lost out because of that day. He went to Suzuki. Suzuki was an unmitigated disaster from like day four on the bike of testing. And it's just been downhill since then. I thought you were going to say the difference between the team launch photographs and then the photographs of him in the garage after that Argentina off where everybody was with him. And then you get that split garage feeling when the mechanics just rattle the spanners, put the wheels in it, fill up fuel, polish it and send him out. You know, when you lose the trust of a team... You're just going around in circles, burning fuel, aren't you? It's it's not it's not good. It's not good. But you know, coming back to the to the to the drugs thing is, you know, the FIM have got to be strong here. The FIM are reasonably quiet in MotoGP compared to the FIA in Formula One. Yeah. The MotoGP rulebook is about three quarters of an inch thick. A Formula One rule book is about three inches thick. Now, I know it's a bigger vehicle and all of that. I get that. But I, I sense that the FIM with the new president have, have, have put their foot down. Yeah, absolutely. They've been... So I think we have seen in the FIM in the past that anti-doping cases can be a bit... It's a long, drawn-out process. Procedure isn't always followed correctly. It can be difficult to get answers... We see riders left waiting, riders left frustrated. 
what they've done this time, it seems, is they have actually moved the process along quite snappily. They've done everything the way they should have. Um, you know, I, I emailed them the other day looking for the final summary judgment on the case and was told we're not issuing it until after the appeal because that's the way that these things are laid out in the rules. So, you know, every step is being followed correctly. So I have to give them that. Um what you picked up on on me saying eighteen months is lenient. The minimum sanction or the the automatic sanction for this is four years. So it could have been so much more worse for him, um, if they hadn't uh, if they hadn't taken into account. You know, he said that he had some food that was contaminated, but he obviously couldn't present a sample of that, which counts against them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what they did was take a sample of hair and you can tell as the hair grows what you've eaten, what was in your body, and they can work out when you took that certain substance as to whether it's an inch further on on his hair. Um, it wouldn't have been a hair on his chest looking at his Instagram, but uh, <laughs> I didn't look very long. Um, but, but yes, and I think they proved essentially it was a one-off with the hair sample, um, which is quite clever, you know, that the, the, the police use that and such like. Um, the whole contamination thing, you know, that's an Alberto Contador cycling thing. You know, oh, well, somebody contaminated my steak uh, whilst he was in the yellow jersey. Um, and... That is almost an unprovable fact both ways. Yeah, it's uh, it's not like he, you know, the other great contamination line that, that professional athletes use was, oh, it was contaminated supplements. But half the time, if you say your supplements are contaminated, you've still got a tub of it at home. You've still got something you could throw into the testers. That didn't work in this case, obviously, because you don't keep a sample of everything you eat, do you? I don't think anyone does. Um, one thing I will say about the entire case that we, we haven't quite got to the bottom of yet is because the FIM have been so tight in following their procedures, basically everything that we've heard so far in terms of the defence and the prosecution has been what Ian O'Neill's lawyer has told us. Now, I'm not saying that they're in any way any, you know, impropriety there, but we're obviously only getting one side of the argument in full. So it will be quite curious to hear whenever it does go to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, whenever it has an appeal, whenever the FIM do release those documents that I was trying to get a hold of this week, it'll be really interesting to read their thinking, their understanding in their judgment, because right now we, we don't really have that. Bottom line is, for any professional sportsman, or unfortunately, as we read about sometimes with some amateur sportsmen, you are responsible for what is inside your body. You are feeding yourself with your own hands. No one's forcing you. And that is essentially what has happened here. You know, it might have been a one-off, but you've got to be careful. Um, and that's that's the bottom line, is you've got to be careful. It's a bit like saying, well, Mr Police Officer, uh, yes, you've caught me doing 45 miles an hour in a 30, but my speedo doesn't work. I'm sorry, pal, you're nicked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there are things you can do to work with it. Because, you know, I know a few riders in the championship and a few professional athletes outside of the sport who do things like if they have dinner in a restaurant, they'll take a photograph of the menu and they'll keep a log of where they what they ate where. And then at least you have this bulk of evidence that you can say, I was here in this state, I ate this, I was here in this state. And at least it produces a bit of a timeline 
that just shows, I think whenever you take it to court, it just shows that you're being aware of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it shows that you can trace the provenance of what you at, at least. Yeah. And if it is a one-off, you've got half a chance, uh, more of a chance, sorry, more of a chance of proving yeah. that it is a, a bad luck case or maybe the knife and fork wasn't washed properly or you shook hands with somebody and you touched your mouth and, you know... Who knows? Who knows? But it's, yeah. it's, it's strong stuff. It's strong stuff. Looking forward for Aprilia, you know, they, they turned a corner in pre-season testing. We haven't had word that Bradley Smith is going to get that ride, but it's... Uh, I think it will be. Aprilia it. have, in their defence, they have stuck with Fianoni the whole way through this process. Um, they're not going to announce that they've sacked him until he's had his final appeal, which will come... Knowing how the Court of Arbitration for Sport works, it will happen before the season starts. But obviously they're in Switzerland, they're in lockdown as well. They're in no huge panic to to get people in to start testifying. So I think they'll be playing it by ear as much as everyone else is playing it by ear in terms of when they'll hear that case. Um, and it'll only be after that that Aprilia make the call on Bradley. Um, he is obviously the first choice to jump on that bike. He has the experience of the bike. Um, he has more experience of the new bike than Ianone has because Iannone, of course, hasn't actually ridden the 2020 bike yet, which is radically different from last year's bike, whereas Bradley developed it. No, interesting times. And, of course, for Iannone's contract, they they can't replace him unless he's actually been fired, and, and all the dominoes will fall into position. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sad to see the fall of a racer, as always is the case with these bizarre things. You know, Anthony Gobert, he was in Lucky Strike Suzuki back in 1997. He was alongside Scott Russell and he was just lightning fast. He was charismatic. He fit the Lucky Strike brand at being a bit rebellious. Lucky Strike Suzuki, they'd come off the crest of a wave with Kevin Schwantz, with with Daryl Beattie, with Scott. And and then he got to mid-season and there was a falling out in the team and the team did its own drug test, apparently, and then he lost his job and, and it all fell out of shape. What a shame for what a talent. And, of course, Gobert just, you know, he did some World Superbike races again in the wet. He was... He was beyond words good. But then you hear all these rumours about where he is now and it's just a crying shame how somebody at the top of the world of their sport, and I don't care if that sport is is MotoGP or, or football or tiddlywinks, you are the best in the world and there's seven billion of us or whatever there is and you hear these rumours about where he is now and it's just such a shame. It's such a shame to see them crestfallen. But you got to let people live their own life. A few guys who uh, who grew up with Gobert came up through the ranks with him in Australia as kids. Everything who maintain that he is one of the greatest talents ever to sit on a motorbike. You know, which is just mm. yeah, it's a uh, it's tragic to see it, and unfortunately, I think we're mm. going to see something similar with Ianoni because if he misses eighteen months of of MotoGP, I can't see a way back in for him. No, it's, yeah, you're soiled good. Somebody will give him a ride somewhere and it won't be on the multi-million pound kind of deals that he, he, he's probably had over the last couple of years. But will it, will it be below him to ride for 50 grand here and 100 grand there? That, that's, that's the big question. Um, you get very accustomed to the lifestyle that you are used to 
with rose gold Rolexes and things like that and private jets. Um, although I did think it was very cool that he won Austria. He got driven to the local airfield in his RS6 by his dad, jumped on a private jet and was partying in Ibiza that Sunday night after that having won your impressive. first MotoGP. Yeah. And you go, and that's pretty cool. <laughs> and it was a back-to-back race weekend. And it was a back-to-back race weekend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He flew back into Brunel later that week for the just second something, round. Just something. So let's remember the good things. Let's remember the good things. And, Absolutely. Uh, and in our current state of affairs in the in the world at the moment, let's uh, let's wish him safe in Italy. That's uh, that's actually far more important than uh, than motorcycle racing. So uh, thank you, Simon. Keep in touch with Simon's reporting at the racecom He's got all sorts of stories uh, coming up. He's told me who he is speaking to this week. Are you going to be able to tell us who you're going to be speaking to? Are you going to keep it a surprise, Simon? Uh, I've got a chat coming up with Hervé Poncherao, which is a bit of a general coverall, both as a team boss and as secretary general of the International Race Team Association. He's always worth talking to. Um, I'm trying to tie down Cal Crutchlow, which is sometimes an easier thing to say than to do. But I'm sure if we do get a hold of him, that that will come off as something good as well. Um, there's a nice Quadraro piece that I think is due to go online in the next few days. Um, we're going to have a big look next week at all of MotoGP's dodgiest sponsors over the years. Oh, you might need to give me a call. <laughs> Not that I've ever been a dodgy sponsor. <laughs> I've just seen them. I've got a good story for you okay. about something. So we will catch up with that and you will read all about it with Simon's article about dodgy sponsors at the-race.com. Thank you very much, Simon. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much, Toby. In the meantime, from me, Toby Moody, goodbye, and we will speak to you very soon. Stay safe. <laughs>